Chapter 16 of the Night Side of New York by members of the New York Press. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Pugilists. The slang peculiar to the class of sports who profess the noble art of self-defense is almost a dialect in itself, and its roots are difficult to trace. For example, it is not easy to guess why the tavern to which the stern pugilist resorts should be called a drum in his lingua franca. He calls his legs pins, and there is some obvious comparison in that. His nose is a conch, his chest a breadbasket, his mouth a potato trap. In the following brief account of the fighting man of New York, however, and of his nightly haunts, we shall restrict ourselves to as little of his dialect as possible, and stick to the good old principle of calling a spade a spade. Houston Street, east of Broadway, has long been a favored spot for the proprietor of the drum, pugilistic, wherein to hang out his painted lantern, on which there usually appears the fancy name by which his establishment is known. Among the profession there is a certain aspiration after originality in these fancy names. Hardly a year ago there was a drum in East Houston Street, kept by the late Harry Lazarus, the signboard of which bore the cabalistic formula x ten u eight or in plain english extenuate the transformation of which verb into a noun demonstrative of a drum is rather a puzzler to the inquiring mind the extenuate came to a calamitous and untimely end it was but too often the resort of self-styled pugilists of the worst and most dangerous class though Harry himself was a well-behaved little fellow who had sufficient confidence in his fistic powers to dispense with the use of cutlery as a general thing. One night, or at early morning, rather, somewhere about the New Year time, certain of these roughs entered the extenuate just as the proprietor was about to close up for the night, and one of them, named Barney Friary, after a few words of altercation with Harry Lazarus, foully and savagely murdered him on the spot by plunging a knife into his neck this was one of those awful scenes which any man may be liable to witness if his spirit of investigation leads him to explore such haunts at the dead hours of the night some four or five years previous to this harry was keeping a drum in chatham street it was about new year's time then too when he had retired at an early hour in the morning leaving his barkeeper to shut up the place. Just then three or four roughs entered, and called for liquor, but the barkeeper refused to supply them with any, saying that the bar was closed. Upon this they attacked the young fellow, and would probably have killed him had not Harry, roused by the noise, made his appearance on the scene. Singling out the biggest of the roughs, young Lazarus gave him a slight inkling of pugilistic science, by knocking out a few of his front teeth in less time than it takes to tell. The cowardly brutes who would have killed the barkeeper now tried to make the best of their escape, but were all arrested by the police by the time Lazarus had doubled up their leader, whose face was a picture when he made his appearance in court next morning. In disposing of the case, the police magistrate passed a well-merited encomium on Lazarus for the pluck and skill displayed by him in defending his castle. One of the most characteristic places now in the city, perhaps, 
in the way of pugilistic resort is the house kept by harry hill in east houston street near crosby hill is an englishman who has been for some years in this country and was long known here as one of the best wrestlers in the ring he is rather under the middle stature about five feet seven inches in height perhaps very heavily built in the shoulders which are somewhat round as is often the case with wrestlers we should judge him to be about forty years of age hill does not wrestle now owing we believe to a sprain suffered by him in one of his legs his last contest was with prickett the new jersey champion which if we remember rightly resulted in a draw owing to some disputed point with regard to the rules of the grip on entering hill's establishment you have to flank a screen which standing inside the door opposes your direct entrance having executed this manoeuvre you find yourself in a good-sized room one side of which is occupied by the bar which is very well fitted up with beer pumps and all the other means and appliances proper to such depots interspersed among the decanters and glasses on the bar shelves are a number of photographs of fighting men and well-known characters connected with the ring the side of the room opposite the bar is taken up with a number of barrels which impart a celery appearance of plenty to the scene there are several small tables in the room on the centre one of which most of the sporting and some of the daily papers are to be found on the walls there are many sporting prints of former mills and portraits of men who travel successfully on their muscle at night most of the tables are occupied by men connected with the ring fighting men trainers backers and sporting men generally observe that wiry-looking man talking with harry hill he would not probably weigh more than one hundred and thirty-two pounds if in fighting trim but he is one of the most scientific fighters in the country and a hard man to tackle that is dooney harris an englishman who has been in this country some two or three years notice what a fighting head he has with eyes far apart and sloping upwards wolf-like and a strong hard-set lower jaw one night when we saw him there it must be a year or two since there sat over at that table yonder an awful-looking pug with an enormous head the facial portion of which was ornamented with numerous bumps and gashes in black blue and yellow thrown partly into the shade by the slouching brim of his wide-awake hat that was patsy marley who had just been defeated by harris to whose rapid and straight hitting he owed the decorations of his countenance there was high altercation going on in circles distributed about the barroom harris appeared to be particularly excited and we soon found that the trouble had arisen out of the application to him by marley on the morning of the fight of the epithet duffer marley asserted that by this objectionable sobriquet harris was known in english pugilistic circles harris repudiated the epithet he would not be called duffer harris he would punch the head of anybody who would apply to him an epithet so opprobrious he meandered about the room with his hands in his trousers pockets seeking for somebody who would be rash enough to duffer him but as no such ill-advised person happened just then to be on hand he soon subsided to a cigar and a glass of ale and harmony was restored 
Hill is frequently selected as stakeholder when a fight is on the tapis, and on these occasions his place is usually a scene of much bustle at night. When the preliminaries of a fight have been arranged, it is customary to get up a sparring match for the benefit of the men who are going into training. Mozart Hall on Broadway used to be the regular place for these sparring exhibitions, but the pugs of late have deserted it and sought other fields, a hall in Forsyth Street being now the scene generally selected by them for their little mills. It is at one of these glove matches that the fancy are to be seen in all their glory. Tickets are usually sold for half a dollar, and you will observe as you go in large posters at the door of the place setting forth a program of the sports of the evening when the place of performance is built like a theatre as old mozart hall is a barrier of posts and ropes is placed along the front of the stage which thus assumes somewhat the appearance of a ring the benches are usually pretty well filled with men of the p r type some of them what may be called swell roughs while a great majority of them are roughs of a lower class unwashed cravatless and clad in dirty red shirts long coarse black frock coats with trousers to match and heavy cowskin boots on which the art of the bootblack does not seem ever to have thrown a transient gloss the swell rough wears better clothes he affects a negligee style of apparel shirt loose sack of thick woolen stuff trousers of a similar material generally of a yellow tan color cut excessively peg-top and having a couple of pearl buttons stitched on the outside seam at the ankle his hat is of the stovepipe pattern with a very narrow brim and so shiny that it looks as if bridget had mistaken it for a joint of the stovepipe and done it over with black lead he wears green kid gloves and his cravat is frequently barred with all the colors of the rainbow his hair is closely trimmed and so is his moustache which is invariably of a purply black hue even though nature may have ordained it to be a fiery red the part of usher or master of the ceremonies at these meetings has been held for many years past by a well-known character called old bill tovey mr tovey's nationality we should judge to be english with a suspicion of irish extraction externally mr tovey is not a very pugilistic-looking person he is somewhat advanced in years and wears a certain agricultural look that impresses the beholder with ideas of peace rather than of war his tall old beaver hat is generally much the worse for wear and is worn at a careless angle upon his occiput his clothes are of no particular fashion but they look as if they had seen better days and may be described in general terms as rusty. Mr. Tovey has had a large experience of ring matters, and his decision on knotty points involving foul or fair is generally looked upon with respect by the sporting characters. In matters pugilistic he has his own theories, and is a great advocate for glove fights, that is not for sparring matches proper, but for regular hammer-and-tongs prize-fights, in which the combatants have their mollies encased in the mufflers how far old mr tovey may be influenced in his promulgation of this theory by the fact that he manufactures or at least furnishes such articles for the p r we have no means of judging 
but it is certain that glove fights have not as yet become popular with the fancy to whom if anything the addition of brass knuckle-dusters would be more acceptable than any invention calculated to mollify a blow as the time for commencing the exercises of the evening approaches sundry young men some of them mere boys may be seen straggling down among the benches and making their way on to the stage behind which they at once disappear these are some of the novices and aspirants by whose efforts the spectators are shortly to be edified jokes are levelled at them from the benches as they get over or under the ropes and if one of them happens to get tripped up in crossing the barrier great is the hilarity indulged in at his expense presently the spectators grow impatient and there is a great stamping of feet on which old mr tovey makes his appearance on the stage and announcing that the sports of the evening will commence with a set to between say larry mccarthy and jem kerrigan introduces these young sports to the public and retires to the back of the stage in all the sparring between the first two or three couples who set to there is usually more fight than science displayed and the spectator who comes expecting to witness real art is generally somewhat disappointed but there will be something better by and by to vary the amusements old mr tovey now announces that mr harry hill has kindly volunteered to exhibit his dexterity in playing with the indian clubs two sets of which are produced upon the stage one pair weighing twelve pounds each the other thirty-five these last are tremendous-looking bludgeons and their appearance produces a sensational buzz among the benches mr hill now makes his bow and taking up the smaller pair of clubs walks with them to the centre of the stage he has divested himself of coat and waistcoat and the sleeves of his checked shirt are rolled up so as to show the red flannel one underneath round his strong loins a handkerchief is loosely tied merely to carry out the traditional idea of girding up he plays with the twelve-pound clubs for a while just as any ordinary person might with a pair of ten-pins and his evolutions with them are very graceful and easy then he pauses for a while and seizing one of the big clubs poises it for a moment high in the air after which he sends it whirling round his head and over his shoulders with a dexterity and strength that never fail to elicit shouts of applause catching up the other club he now makes both gyrate in duplicate movements that require great exercise of skill and muscular strength the exertion is evidently very great and when hill lays down the clubs and retires you are likely to think that he has contributed his full quota to the sports of the evening when the applause elicited by this feat has subsided somebody in the boxes espies a well-known character leaning over one of the back benches whom he salutes loudly with a how are you king of clubs and there is immediately a torrent of hi hi from all parts of the house the personage alluded to is a very important one among the sporting fraternity for whom he manufactures those clubs which have nearly superseded dumbbells in the gymnasiums and schools of muscle sim kehoe for that is his name is a shortish muscular man of wiry build and with a face decidedly of the hibernian fighting cast his appearance by day must be familiar to many 
as he traverses the highways and byways with a pair or sometimes two pair of lignum vitae bludgeons upon his shoulders sim is of irish origin having been brought to this country while very young he has worked at several things in his time but has finally settled down into his present occupation out of which he bids fair to realize a fortune now that physical training is receiving the attention it deserves the next introduction by old mr tovey is probably young dick hill son of the great clubist this versatile young gentleman who may be about nine or ten years old is also an adept with the clubs a light pair of which he swings with much grace and adroitness he is also of a dramatic turn and makes his appearance in the course of the evening in a negro character with corked face and the collar of his striped shirt reaching to his temples in which guise he treats the audience to a negro song and dance when he runs off the stage after his performance you will note how like his father he is in build the wind-up of the evening is always a set to between two athletes of real science and grit for instance bill davis and jim dunn who on such occasions generally appear in regular ring costume light undershirt drawers and long stockings with laced ankle boots this set too always excites intense interest and the straight hits and quick stops are followed by thunders of applause on one of these occasions we remember that the combatants were the redoubtable joe coburn and the burly mike norton known in ring circles as crow to another ring has the latter transferred his abilities now for is not crow norton alderman of the third district and not unfrequently occupant of the magisterial bench thus it is that virtue ever hath its reward among the other places of resort to which the pugilists tend when the shades of night prevail we will mention the hostelry kept by izzy lazarus in centre street near grand the house is called the eagle tavern if we remember rightly it is painted green on the outside and the swinging sign at the door is a good portrait of the obese host in the character of sir john falstaff which he could easily make up without stuffing to use a theatrical expression izzy lazarus is an englishman and as his name suggests of the ancient hebrew race he is of shortish stature but of such immense girth as to weigh something over three hundred pounds on entering his bar-room you will observe an oil painting representing a young man in fighting trim and attitude naked from the waist up and displaying good physical developments this is a portrait of izzy himself whose fighting weight in those days of his triumph was no more than one hundred and thirty-two pounds who would think it to look at him now many a time we have seen izzy however in his present obese condition sail in with the gloves after a fashion that made his younger and slimmer antagonist look out for himself the most scientific sparring we remember to have seen in this country used to be displayed in the provincial exhibitions given by him with his two boys harry and johnny both of them at that time lightweights of great skill and promise a feature connected with the drum of izzy lazarus is the free and easy held there on certain nights of the week robert smith chairman charlie carson will face him 
is the announcement on a card of one of these entertainments that now lies before us the free and easy here is usually a very crowded affair at which some good singing is to be heard and a great deal of bad through the hazy atmosphere of beer and smoke the ponderous form of the host himself may often be seen as with his head thrown back he rolls out from his enormous chest some ditty picked up by him in other days and latitudes some of the best-known men of the pugilistic ring are usually to be seen of an evening at the hostelry of stout old izzy joe coburn who tried so hard to get up a fight with the english champion jem mace but failed in the attempt keeps the white house in grand street a place to which the members of the p r very frequently resort the barroom is a large and well-fitted one with portraits of the host himself and of other sporting men coburn is a north of ireland man tall and of exceedingly athletic build his face is not distinctly that which usually denotes the fighting man because the bridge of his nose remains in the condition in which nature originally built it a thing rare in the tribe of pug nevertheless there is in his small eye the same lurking gleam of pugnacity that we have observed in many four-footed creatures of rapacious instincts joe's well-known pugnacity causes good order to reign in his bar of a night as he has a rather unceremonious way about him with brawlers outside his proclivities get him into many a scrape not long since we visited his drum one night and not seeing him behind the bar made inquiries about him he was laid up we were informed with a very bad hand brought on by his knuckles coming in contact with the teeth of some individual obnoxious to him rats and other vermin are said to have a poisonous quality in their teeth and it is just possible that the gentleman smitten on the mouth by mr joseph coburn might have been properly classed with such there are a good many vermin in the haunts frequented by the new york pugilists at night End of chapter sixteen